Welcome everybody to Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, as always, joined by Jake Miller. And Jake, it is finally here. We are exactly nine days away from the Super Bowl. After a thrilling weekend this past weekend of conference championship games, how do you feel about the Super Bowl matchup? Hey, we're we're in the end game. <laughs> I mean, the Super Bowl matchup is not what I expected, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's the playoffs. Anything can happen, and any team can go to the Super Bowl, whether it be a one seed or a seven seed. So, I think the game will be good regardless, and it's a rematch from only a couple from only a few years ago. So, I think there's going to be some. Not bad blood, but I think there's going to be some animosity between these two teams. Oh, absolutely. And I will say this, Jake, I'm a little scared because remember the last time that these two faced off in a Super Bowl, we ended up being in a pandemic afterwards. So I really hope that this isn't foreshadowing again, because God, this take will age like milk. But it is going to be the Chiefs and the 49ers. And Jake, let's start with the Chiefs and how they got there. Kansas City taking down the number one seeded Baltimore Ravens by a score of 17 to 10. Jake, this is a game that I think you and I were both infuriated about, not just because we had the Ravens, but because of how this game went. What were your thoughts? Um, Mike McDonald, the new Seattle head coach, we'll get into that in a bit, did his job in this game. He held Mahomes to 17 points. He did his damnedest. That defense played really good. They, they, it was a really a bend-don't-break type of defense. You held Isaiah Pacheco to under three yards of carry, Mahomes was only 2.5 on, let's see, 32 attempts. He only gave up 89 yards. That's like 2.7, 2.8 a carry. 2.8. Mahomes, yeah, Mahomes was accurate. 30 for 39, 241 and one touchdown. Not a lot of yards on 30 attempts or 30 completions. Travis Kelsey... I thought going to this game, Hamilton, Queen, and um, Roquan would be able to handle Kelsey. Kelsey just said, fuck you, I may be older now, but I can still do my shit. And they got, he got 11 catches, 116, and a touchdown. Rasheed Rice did a lot in the short game, 8 for 46. So nothing like big splash play, but when Kelsey goes for that much, what do you expect? The thing that I and I said this last week, it's kind of like which defensive coordinator is going to be able to stop the other quarterback the most? Spagnolo fucking stopped this offense. They sacked they sacked Lamar four times and they got a pick as well. And that's without Willie Gay playing. And I thought, oh, Willie Gay's not playing. Oh shit. There goes your quarterback spy. There goes the guy who's going to stop this run game. But the thing I 
don't understand is if you look at their first half, they're they were averaging like six yards a carry in the first half. And they only ran it like eight to ten times, I think. Going to the second half, they tried to play a fucking air raid. Which I don't know if that was more Jackson wanting to be showing more of a quarterback or if that was their offensive coordinator just saying, all right, we need to fucking switch it up and do something unexpected here. They, the, the Chiefs couldn't handle this run game. You abandoned it halfway into this, going into the second half. Lamar threw not great. 20 for 37, 272, a touchdown and a pick. He averaged 6.8 per carry on eight attempts. Gus Edwards only had three attempts. Justice Hill only had three attempts. Not including Lamar, there was six runs by a running back. That is not a stat coming into this game I thought I would see. I would think probably 30 attempts for both the backs combined. Zay had a good day in the air, five for a buck, 15 and a touchdown. There was that, that what was it, uh, taunting call? Yep, taunting. There, yeah, okay, I understand why I got called. You can't let that happen, but I know that it was a very ticky-tacky, but you should have called the exact same thing on Travis Kelsey. That's just how I feel about it, going away from that. Um, you only sacked Mahomes twice, and it one didn't, and half of them only came from just a matter of week A. You didn't pick them off. You tackled a lot. I mean, Roquan had 16 total fucking tackles, but at the end of the day, it was the offense for the Ravens that just couldn't get it going. You abandoned the run, you stopped giving a shit, and you had a lot of penalties. They had eight penalties for 95 total yards. That is a full touchdown right there. And while they also lost two fumbles, and the Chiefs did what I thought Baltimore should have done. Run the ball, blade the clock, don't let that offense on the field. The Chiefs had 37 and a half minutes of time of possession. The Ravens had 22 and a half. And third down efficiency, eight for 18 for the Chiefs, almost 50%. You can live with that. Third down efficiency for the Ravens, three out of 11. So, I mean, honestly, you had the Chiefs playing more like the Ravens and the Ravens played more like the Chiefs because the Chiefs ran the fuck out of the ball. The Ravens didn't do shit with running the ball. So I blame the I blame the Ravens offense for losing this and not their defense. Their defense did their job. That offense should have done better. Well, I can't really refute anything you're saying because everything that you say, I pretty much co-sign. Jake, I'm going to start things off with the penalties where I do agree. And I texted our group chat about this. I thought Travis Kelsey potentially should have gotten thrown out of the game because he very much got away with taunting a lot of instigating, ended up getting a penalty on Kyle Van Noy for unsportsmanlike conduct, unnecessary roughness, which I found funny because they really, really were letting Travis Kelsey get away with a lot of taunting, a lot of, you know, finger pointing right in the face. 
really, I thought he should have gotten thrown out of the game. Uh, just plain and simple. Now, I don't think the outcome would have changed too, too much because most of Kelsey's damage was done in the first half. But I do think also, though, that falls on the Ravens as well. You cannot let you know that Kelsey after pregame with Tucker, Kelsey and Mahomes, you have to know this game is going to be chippy going into it and you cannot let emotions get the better of you. And that's what happened to Baltimore. They got too emotional. They were too undisciplined. The two late hits were awful. They they were awful. You got one where you damn near clotheslined Mahomes. And then the second one, the second one, it was helmet to helmet. I will say this. Mahomes was scrambling. In, he was getting ready to escape the pocket. You could argue that he potentially was losing his protection, but he's still in the pocket. Helmet, helmet. They'll call it every time. And then the taunting penalty on Zay Flowers, that wasn't even ticky-tack, Jake. That's that I do have to disagree with that. It wasn't ticky-tack because, for one thing, Sneed holding him down pushes him off. That's fine. But you can't stand over him and then spin the ball all on him, basically, or right in front of him. You just can't do that. It's And he's a young player. He'll learn from that. But plain and simple, in the in a game of this magnitude, after a big play like that, the last thing that you can have is a penalty that sets you back 15 yards. And then the dive into the end zone, Sneed, credit to Sneed for knocking that ball out before he crossed the plane. But if you saw where he dove, Jake, why are you reaching the ball out? You're going to make it in if you have it tucked in. You dove at the three. You at l Half your body was in when you landed. There's no reason to reach for there unless it's a do or die, fourth down, gotta have it situation. It was third down, Jake. It was second or third down. Just dive in normal. You get a touchdown. It's a three-point game. And then the fumble by Ma or by Lamar early on, Jake. It was one of those fumbles that Lamar, he, I think the media got into his head. I think he let the outside noise get in his head and he tried to prove himself to be a pocket passer and he could only win from the pocket. He did not use his legs enough early on in this game. And that strip sack by Karloftis was a picture perfect example. The clock had to be going in your head. If you're one, two, and you, before you get to three, you feel that clock in your head going off, run. Because, Jake, did we not see what Josh Allen did to them? 12 carries for 72 yards last week. The Chiefs gave up 182 yards rushing. And not to mention, Jake, the first carry that Gus Edwards had went for 15 yards on this defense. After that, he got a grand total of two more carries the rest of the game, and he did not get a carry until the second half. I don't know where this idea came from that Kansas City had the worst rush defense left in the playoffs of the final four teams, even worse than the Niners, and the Niners was pretty damn bad. I don't know why the game plan was to throw it 37 times. And Jake, like you mentioned with the defense and Mike McDonald. Yeah, you gave up 17 in the first half. You did not allow a single point in the second half. At no point were you at risk of getting blown out in this game. Because after 
halftime, Mike McDonald made the adjustments. Kansas City couldn't move the ball. And Mahomes, credit to Mahomes, though. He realized what kind of game this was becoming. And what he ended up realizing is that heavy dose of Pacheco, find Rasheed Rice, find Kelsey, don't let the Ravens back in the game. Because outside of a couple big plays by the Ravens, they were really never in this game. Like it wasn't as close as 17 to 10. It really felt more like 24, 30 to 10 because the Ravens weren't running the ball. They completely threw away their identity. And Lamar, while he is an accurate passer, his arm is not what teams fear. Teams still fear his legs far more than they do his arm. And not to mention, Jake, I think what Spagnuolo did, and I think we might have the blueprint for Lamar, is blitz the living hell out of him. Because we saw against Houston for the first half, Jake, before Baltimore pulled away in the fourth quarter, D'Amico Ryans blitzed uh, Lamar early on quite a bit, and they couldn't really do anything. Now, they adjusted, but there was never really any adjustment here. There was, it was a heavy dose of blitzes by Spagnolo, and the way they rushed was they rushed up, but they didn't crash. So Lamar, any rushing lanes that he would have had, they were filled up by bodies. Now, nevertheless, I do think that the Ravens, if they run this ball a little bit more, it should be a different story. But there was no threat of the run. And so because of that, likely he throws up his hands. Lamar, I don't care if his hand is thrown up. You have a better view than he does. And you threw it into three guy, three purple jerseys or excuse me, three red jerseys and one purple jersey. Anyone was making that pick and likely was not making that catch. And not to mention, Jake, I'm going to say this right now. You had five first downs via penalty given to Kansas City. Now, I understand there was a penalty. I hear you, Ravens fans. I said it right away as well. There was a missed P.I. on that final drive where Lamar looked over at Likely, Likely got shoved. It was clear P.I. They didn't throw the flag. I do think they should have. I do think that there was a little bit more of, I think the refs early on didn't want to get too, too involved, but in the NFL, you're going to end up getting them involved at some point. And Hey, they did call penalties on the chiefs. They called two back-to-back holding penalties on Trey Smith that were pretty blatantly obvious. If they hadn't called them, I think you would lean more into the fact of the game was rigged, but it didn't change the fact, Jake, on that second touchdown drive, Kansas City had the ball for nine minutes. That's what something we see Baltimore do to people. It was a complete role reversal in this game. And Jake, I'm going to pass it back off to you. Where do the Ravens go from here? Because you no longer have your defensive coordinator. Todd Munkin took a lot of blame, but you're not going to move off of him. Odell is a bit older, but you still have Zay Flowers. You still have Gus Edwards, who I think is a free agent, but you might resign because he has shown his effectiveness. 
Justice Hill is a free agent, but I think you'll re-sign him. I think you'll let J.K. Dobbins walk because ACL and then Achilles in back-to-back years, that it's almost a death sentence. Jake, what do you think the Ravens need to do in order to get back into this position? Because right now, Lamar is going to face a lot of scrutiny because this was the most amount of weapons he has had on the offensive side. And that defense was number one in scoring D. So to start, I think their first overall thing they have to do is address O-line, especially now I'm going to get some flack for this from Ravens fans, but Ronnie Stanley is, I wouldn't say washed, but he's no longer the tackle that you paid that big ass contract to. Injuries have hampered him two years in a row. He was finally healthy for a majority of this year, but he's serviceable, but not worth the contract you're giving him. I would say get younger on the interior. Linderbaum is a very good center. Injured, though. Yes. Kevin Zeitler, older guard. I don't know who their other guard is off the top of my head, but I think he's a younger guy. So I would try to either get a younger guard and with Odell moving on, Nelson Aguilar moving on, and you only really have Zay at that point with Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely, I would say try to get another, maybe another veteran receiver or draft another guy, like maybe a big-bodied guy to compliment Zay. Their guard is uh, Josh John Simpson, and he was drafted fourth round in 2020. So, yeah, he, he's okay. pretty young. He's 26. Yeah, and he played good enough. I mean, shit. Anytime you go against the fucking interior pass rush like the Chiefs. Stone Cold <laughs> Jones. <laughs> yeah, no shit. But I'd say try to get a guard that either, if Zyler plays at a high level for, more, for a couple more years, fantastic. You have another guy that you drafted high, it's first or second round, go with that. Or get a receiver, this draft class is loaded with them. And if not, I think I would honestly say get a pass rusher because their pass rush unit is good, but a lot of them are older. Jadavion Clowney, over 30. You have Kyle Van Noy, over 30. You gave Michael Pierce a good contract. He's there for the next two years. You have to pay just a matter of weekly now. So you have your top two interior guys and a situational edge in Matabuike, but you need to get younger at edge. And this edge class, I mean, it's okay. There's some good players you can definitely get up high or in the second. But, I mean, you could even look at corner because outside of Marlon Humphrey, you really don't got anybody you can really establish yourself with. I mean, Ronald Darby is good, but there's a reason he's been on so many teams these last few years. He's like a combat merc, just jumping from squad to squad. So, so <laughs> I will say I just, this. It's actually funny oh. you say that. 
Sorry, uh, sorry to cut you off, Jake, but it's funny you say that because that honestly is where I think they absolutely need to address is corner. Because in my opinion, Marlon Humphrey, he played solid, but he had a down year. And as far as your corners go, Jake, Ronald Darby is up there in age. He is not a starter. I'm sorry, Brandon Stevens, he was all right, but eh. Arthur Millette, he's a good occasional guy. Rocky Sin, though, he's a castaway. I think corner, to be honest, is your best look. Now, I will say this, Jake. What I think really hurt the Ravens, Tyus Bowser was not available for a large majority of this season. We know what Tyus Bowser is capable of, Jake. When he is available, he is very, very good. Now, when I look at him, because I'm looking, Jake, I don't even think, yeah, four months ago, yet to return to practice. So, I mean, you think about that, he really, yeah, he was on non-football injury reserve. So, you didn't have Tyus Bowser at all for this season, I don't think. I think it would have been a lot different if you had someone like him. If he does return, you have still a solid rusher still in his prime. He's a little bit older, but he'd still be about. Yeah, Jake, he'd still be 29, so he's still on the right side of 30. And I think the other thing, Jake, you mentioned pass rush. I think Adafi Owe also had a major step back. And you also mentioned O-line. I think as far as O-line is concerned, Jake, you are absolutely spot on with Ronnie Stanley. I do think that this, I wouldn't be surprised if they trade up and try and get at least the second or third best tackle because, Jake, they're going to be picking, I believe, at 30, 30 or 29. I think maybe at 29, you're not going to be able to have your pick of the litter when it comes to tackles i don't think they trade up into like the top 10 but i could see them trading up you know 12 13 and actually be able to then get a better tackle because i think yeah they're gonna be drafting at 30 i just looked up they'll be at 30 yeah jake i think at 30 if you want to trade up to get a tackle or someone in the interior you can but if it were me, I would look at corner. And I think that if he falls to you, I would look for Kool-Aid McKinstry. Heavy man corner, so it makes sense. Now, granted, they played a lot of zone this season. But I do think that having that ability to play man and having a corner that you can march out and play man, it just makes enough sense to me. And then Jake. We'll touch on the Chiefs here in a minute, but just real quick, what did you think about how Mahomes played specifically? Because I'm not going to say he played fantastic, but I will say this. This was the this was arguably the best game he has played all year because he didn't make any mistakes. He was perfect targeting Kelsey, he was 11 for 11 targeting Kelsey. And not to mention, Jake, if you took his top two targets in Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey, he was 19 of 20. I think that is 
the recipe for success if heading into the Super Bowl. Now, granted, we will do early thoughts on that towards the end of the podcast, but I did want to get your take on how Mahomes played. I think Mahomes played very good. You said it best. He played it smart. He handed the ball off when needed to. He took off when he needed to to get short yard situations. And he distributed the ball to his top two weapons and they made plays and got consistent first downs. So at the end of the day, he knew what we, he knew what he had to do. He had to bleed the clock, help his defense out by letting him rest a bit, because even if the Ravens aren't playing at all strength, they're still the fucking Ravens. You still have to do so much to keep that offense in check. So he let his defense rest with long, consistent drives when he could get him established. But he did what he had to do. He bled the clock, kept that offense out the field, let his defense rest. So they were fresh coming off the bench. And that's kind of the recipe of how they won. Yeah. And I think that what we'll end up seeing is I think we're going to be in for a pretty good game. And I know Kansas city was watching this game like a Hawk. And to be honest, Jake, I think they are far more happy with who they're going to be facing than who they probably should have been facing. And that brings us to the NFC championship game. And Jake, this was a tale of two halves. You had the Detroit lions off to a dominant, dominant start. They were up 24 to seven heading into halftime, but the Niners scored 27 unanswered points and held on to a late Lions push to win, to come back from 17 down and win 34 to 31. And Jake, I'll start things off with this. This game really came down to a tale of two halves, like I said in the pre-opening there, because in the first half, the Detroit Lions had 141 yards rushing. They finished with 182. Now, you can say this, Goff, he missed a couple throws that I thought he should have had, and I know that a lot of the scrutiny over the past few days has been on Dan Campbell going for it on fourth down. And I'm going to say this right now, I did not hate it. Honestly, I actually really liked it. And here's why. Because after they scored, after they kicked that field goal to be 24 to 10, you have a fourth and three on, I believe, their 28 yard line. To me, I didn't hate the fact that they went for it. And Josh Reynolds, that hit him in the chest. I don't care what anyone says. He absolutely has to catch that ball. And if he catches that ball, they continue to milk the clock. They kick a field goal there. They're going to be closer. You make it 27 to 10 then. Or you get a touchdown. You're up 30 to th or 31 to 10. I think you kill all of the momentum. You kill all of the fight left in this Niners team. And it's easy to criticize the outcome when you know what has happened, because I do think that if he had gotten it, people would have been like, oh, you know, 
not what I would have done, but hey, it worked. Or I think people might have said, he's a genius, because people don't like to admit they're wrong. We'll just call it what it is. And Jake, when it comes to, now I will say this, the second one I have soured a little bit on. I didn't hate it in the moment because it is what, it's what they do. It's what Dan Campbell has been all year. It's what got them there. And to me, I think that when you think about how Detroit played and you compare it to the Ravens, Detroit was at least honest and stayed true to who they are, what their identity is. Baltimore completely shifted it. Baltimore completely lost their identity. And Detroit, again, if they get one of those fourth down conversions, I think we're having a different conversation and we're not criticizing Dan Campbell for that. It's easy to criticize a result when you know the outcome. Now, I do think this was also a big thing, Jake, but when it came down to this game, to me, what I really thought was the biggest turning point of the game was the dropped interception by Vildor that turns into, yeah, Kendall Vildor, a deep ball bounces off of his face mask, surefire pick, and Brandon Ayuk makes a diving catch for it, and it ends up being a 51-yard gain. That's just when you knew that they were living right, because if that ball gets picked, that game is pretty much over. You take the ball away from them. You take a ton of momentum. This game was a lot more about Detroit losing it to me than Sam Fran winning it. Now, credit to Sam Fran. Brock Purdy, he had an early pick that was really ugly. I mean, I, I don't know what that pick was. I mean, it was one of those things. Malcolm Rodriguez undercuts it, and it was just bad. It was just plain bad. But Christian McCaffrey, Jake, he was a stud in this game, as per usual. 20 carries for 90 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. And then he also had four catches for 42 yards off five targets. So, I mean, you know, 24 touches, 132 yards from scrimmage. That's pretty good. But what I'm going to give Brock Purdy credit for, Jake we have never seen Brock Purdy use his legs like he did. He had five rushes for 48 yards. Now, I will say this. You got to get down, man, because you those hits. If, you, if that's Nick Bolton running full speed and hitting you, that ball is probably going to come out. He has to he has to slide. You can't be eating those hits. But what I thought was really interesting, Jake, was Purdy. He I've criticized him a lot throughout the year, and it's mainly because you look at the team. It's it's an all star team. McCaffrey, Debo, use checks and all pro pretty much every year. Brandon, IU, George Kittle, Jawan Jennings is a stud. Kyle Shanahan's calling the place. You got Nick Bosa and Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw on defense. You're on a stack team. This was the first time that I thought Brock Purdy looked like not only he belonged on the team, 
he didn't feel like, you know, just a guy. This was the first time that I felt like he actually, he actually was a catalyst for the team rather than it being all Debo, all McCaffrey. This was, we had not seen Brock Purdy playmake and to see the fact that he had, I think if I look, Jake, where is the stats? Jake, he almost had as many yards as Lamar Jackson did rushing. Credit to the Niners for ending up coming back, winning this game. For the Lions, it's a heartbreaking loss because this is a game that you absolutely should have win and you just had bad luck after bad luck fall down onto you. But Jake, do you think that this was a game that the Niners sort of lucked into and Detroit gave away? Or do you completely disagree with me and think that San Fran ended up winning this game? I think it's a bit of both sides of the story on this one. Because you don't just luck your way into coming back to the, from this type of deficit. That takes your defense playing damn good. It takes your offense to be on to click on all cylinders. And it takes your quarterback to play his ass off. And all three of those happened. Yushik got involved in the past game. Very good. He was blocking incredibly well. George Kittle, only two catches. But he did what he had to do. McCaffrey was really good, like you mentioned. 132 total yards on four catches and 20 attempts on the ground. Ayuk was phenomenal, especially with that tipped ball that he just caught out of nowhere. And it was just amazing. Debo got fed the ball a lot. And he did what he had to do. And the I'll give the, the Lions one thing. You said it best. They stuck to what got them here. And I agree with that statement. For better or for worse, they stuck to it. Now, how I see it with the field goal situation getting aggressive. The first one, I totally get. You were up. Continue the drive. Waste more clock. Potentially get another touchdown. Or get a closer field goal attempt. The second one is the one I have a problem with. Because you were down three. That's the one where I think you should have just not gambled. So on the two fourth down attempts, I agree with the first one. I disagree with the second one. But it's like we said, they stuck to their guns. They did what got them here. And it just didn't work out. Being aggressive is a two-way streak. It can bite you in the ass. Or it can pay out and win you games. So I think that you kind of just saw this team. I don't want to say shit the bed in the second half, but I mean, they just couldn't get anything going. Whether it was just the Niners defense shutting them down and they just couldn't make the plays or just, I don't know, honestly. At the end of the day, I think the Lions, I think they could definitely come back and be in this spot again because the NFC is the NFC. It's a it's the weaker of the two conferences. 
So I think anything is possible on that front. And the Niners are still a dominant team. In my opinion, they're still the, a top two team in the, in the NFC. And the sky's the limit with this team. Now, you have to pay some people. Ayuk's coming up on contract, which... Ugh, I don't think they can has, keep him. If they do, it's because somebody's going to get restructured or cut. If they do keep him, it's only because Purdy is such a cheap deal. So... I think at the end of the day, people are going to get paid on this te- on this Niners team, and the Lions will be back. Now, the question that I have for you is, do you pay Jared Goff? Or do you try to get a better option, which I you can do better than Goff, but it's going to be hell to try to find a quarterback better than him because of how well he's played in the system, but there are limitations to his game. That's why the Rams got Stafford. So I will say this, Jake, because um, I looked up Michael Badgley, who is the Lions kicker. In his career from 40 or longer, he is 42 of 61, which is 68%. You cannot tell me that Dan Campbell didn't at least somewhat know that, and that didn't factor in at least somewhat with him going for it on uh, on fourth down. Because when it comes to going for it on fourth down, this is something that you plan a week in advance of if we have this situation, we're going to go for it here. We have the play calls for it. And if you think about it, that Reynolds drop, he had it. And then on third down, that massive drop, you keep the drive alive as well there. Because, Jake, in the first half, they were getting, they had a third and 14, and they ran the ball and got it. They had a third and 18, and Goff hits Amon Ross St. Brown in stride for first down. I do think that, I do want to say that to say this. As far as the as far as the Lions go and as far as Jared Goff goes, I absolutely would re-sign him. Because here's what here's the thing. You look at the quarterbacks in the NFC. Jordan Love, Matt Stafford. Outside of that, who's better? Kirk Cousins, you could say he's coming off an Achilles injury. Dak Prescott, maybe in the regular season, but he flames out. Brock Purdy, five of his eight quarters, Jake, in the playoffs, he has not been good. He rain bothered him in the Green Bay game. And then in the first half, he did not look good. He was missing throws that he should have made. And you think about this as well, Jake. He had he has now had back-to-back games where he has had he has thrown balls that absolutely should have been picked. And Darno Savage drops a pick six and a ball bounces off a Detroit Lions DB's face mask. I'm just saying, keep that in mind. He is a bit of a gunslinger. He will take chances. And I do want to say this. 
the last great defense he faced was Baltimore's in the regular season. I know it's regular season, but bear with me. He had three, he had four picks in that game. All I'm going to say is we don't value the Ravens corners all that great outside of Jared or outside of Marlon Humphrey. Legereus Sneed and Trent McDuffie are dogs. They, I think, I think Purdy might have some picks in the Super Bowl if he takes too many chances. But sorry, I also say that with Purdy because I don't think of Brock Purdy as a better quarterback than Jared Goff. I think Goff is a better quarterback. I think Goff, Jake, got a bad rap with how it ended in Los Angeles. Sean McVay has even admitted he regrets how it ended because they scapegoated him as the issues that they had and that Stafford was the answer. Clearly, we see that if you give Jared Goff a competent coach, he's pretty damn good. Remember, when he got here, Jake, it was Matt Patricia. And Coach Pencil, he's off doing something. He's probably off playing with Lincoln Logs or something. I think, Jake, at worst, in your own division, you have the second best quarterback. Because I think that Goff, coming off of this, is better than Kirk Cousins off of an, inj- off of an Achilles injury. Not to mention, I don't really trust that Kirk Cousins sticks around. He might, but I don't know about that. And then you look at the rest of the NFC. Think about the NFC South, Jake. Who do you, are you taking any of those quarterbacks over Goff? Cause I'm not NFC West. You're taking Stafford. Okay. Say you take Purdy. All right, fine. Kyler. He's not looked fantastic. He's talented, but he still got some questions. He still has questions. And Gino, Drew Locke, don't even get me started. And then you look at the NFC North. He's better than Daniel Jones. He's better than Sam Howell or I think a rookie in Drake May. Hurts, he's, he's not better than. I think he's a better quarterback than Dak because I think Dak ends up making more mistakes overall. Not as much this year. But overall, I do think he makes more mistakes. So you think about that, Jake. Maybe you're taking three or four quarterbacks over Goff in the conference. I don't think you can get an upgrade because I don't see a obvious upgrade on the horizon. I think you absolutely extend Jared Goff. I think, Jake, you look at maybe getting a second receiver to pair with Amon Ross St. Brown and Sam Laporta. Because, Jake, you're not paying Sam Laporta. You're not paying Jamison Williams. Jameer Gibbs is on a rookie deal. Maybe you re-sign, or no, Montgomery, I think you still have for two more years. I think he signed a three-year deal. He did. And so you have a core, and then you think Campbell, rookie. Aline McNeil, young player. Efitu Melfonwu, I'm pretty sure he's a young player. Brian Branch, rookie deal. I think, Jake, what you have with the Lions, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them in the NFC Championship game next year just because of the fact that I understand they're going to have a harder schedule. NFC is a weaker conference than the AFC. You don't have the elite quarterbacks like you do there. 
So I think there is a path of less resistance. I think Detroit's in a really good spot. And I think with the fact that Ben Johnson is staying, why not? Why wouldn't you be optimistic about the Lions? And then, Jake, with Sam Fran, though, I'm very curious. Do you think, do you still have questions about Brock Purdy and his long term? ability to be the starting quarterback for the 49ers because like I said five of his eight quarters he has been pretty rough now he has come up clutch when it matters in the fourth quarter and in the second half of this game down 17 and I like that moxie he has I like that resilience but you have to question if you're getting down in these holes how sustainable is it to keep climbing out of them Especially with, you know, you were down what? I think only seven, maybe 10 at most against Green Bay. You were down 17 against Detroit. I just question Brock Purdy, not because I don't think he's a good quarterback. I think he is a good quarterback. I don't think he's elite. I don't look at him as necessarily special though I do think he is resilient, and if he finishes it off in the Super Bowl, then it's hard to have any questions about him. But when you think about the the main catalysts for this team, it's Christian McCaffrey, Brandon or Debo Samuel, and George Kittle. I look at them as the main catalysts of this team. I can't quite put Brock Purdy on their level yet. What do you think? I mean, Purdy's limited what he can do, yes. I see him currently as, I'd say, about a more mobile Jared Goff. That's Now, he's not the thrower that Goff is yet. He's only been in the league for two years. so And he's only had about a year and a half of starting experience. So, who knows what he's going to be in the future. But he's a more mobile Jared Goff when Goff was in the Rams system. That's kind of how I see him right now. I think he can evolve. Any player can get better. With the amount of effort that I think he's put into the league so far from when he was drafted to now, there is a mountain of a difference. I think that the weapons he does have, yes. They the separation metrics of how far the average catch radius is from the nearest defender is usually top three in the league, if not first in the league. So the scheme that Shanahan deploys, his weapons. I see where you're coming from, and I do agree to a good extent that yeah, okay, he's not the main catalyst, but Jimmy G got them to a Super Bowl. If it wasn't for this kid getting injured last year, he'd probably be in the back-to-back Super Bowls against the fucking Chiefs. Uh, so I think they would have the, the. I think I think they would beat the Eagles if Purdy was actually healthy. I'll stick to my guns on that one at least. But I, I, that was I, last I, year. This is this year. I will. The reason why I challenge that is because early on. 
the first two plays, he was basically in the arms of Hassan Reddick. That defense for Philly was the Grand Canyon difference between what it was this year. So that that's the only reason why I would be a little iffy to say that they would have because Philly was damn near perfect and Jalen Hurts was playing at an MVP level. Mm-hmm. But, but as I was saying, I think he let you got he you don't just lead a team to a conference championship game and then to a Super Bowl in back to back years with. Yes, he has, like we've talked, he has a top three offensive-minded head coach. He has the arguably the best weapons in the fucking league. He has a Hall of Fame left tackle and a average rest at average at best starting O-line, everything else. But you don't just lead a team to these things without being good. I think he's good enough to get the job done. I think he could go to anywhere in the NFC and be a starter. Now, will he have the results that he has with the Niners? Probably not. But if you put him in almost any other team in the NFC, he will be a decent starter. I'm not going to say a good starter like he is with the Niners, but I would say he would be a decent enough starter that he would literally be like one of those stopgap guys or maybe have like three teams in 10 years type things. But I think that the kid's good at last year. I was on the lower end of him, but you know, I've warmed up to the kid. I think he's mobile. He's not super mobile, but he can get the job done. And he doesn't have the strongest arm in the league, obviously, but he's accurate when he needs to be. He's He has the moxie that you need to be a starting quarterback in this league. He knows how to lead his team, and he knows how to rally his team, which are some of those important things you want in a quarterback. And another thing, he's his willingness to be coached is something you can't undermine with this kid. I think... He is good where he is. If he gets better, great. If he doesn't, he's still a decent quarterback. But kind of moving on from this, Adam, where do you see the Lions going from this direction? Well, I sort of touched on it before. I do think that for them, what I would really focus on is maybe getting a second receiver to pair with Amon Ross St. Brown and Sam Laporta because you are so young and you have young weapons, and Ben Johnson is staying as OC at least for another year. I think they definitely need to address the secondary, Jake, because that was arguably their weakest spot on the entire team. I mean, only maybe three teams have two good corners, one of them being the Kansas City Chiefs. I do think that that is going to be their main target. Again, we mentioned uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry earlier. I do think that he would be a really, really good corner to add for them. I, If you wanted to, you could try and get a pass rusher to book in with Aiden Hutchinson, but you have the middle of the field with Jack Campbell covered. Derek Barnes also played pretty well I over the year. 
I think that's mainly where they go is if you were to ask me where I think their main thing, like the top things they would need, I think it would probably be corner receiver edge. And then maybe if you want to look at a center because Frank Ragnow has been so banged up. I agree with those. I would say receiver they're fine at. I think Amonra, Jamison, and Sam Laporta are a damn good trio. I would maybe get a a out like a big receiver in the draft in the later rounds, maybe third or fourth, because Reynolds isn't it. He's good at points, but I mean. He has had drop issues, not just in the championship game, kind of all throughout the year. So I'd say get a third of receiver in the later rounds. I'd say your top two picks have to be fucking corner and edge. Because your safeties, yeah, they're pretty good safeties. As long as for if if, if they can retain CJ Gardner Johnson, their safeties are okay. You don't have to touch that. If they don't keep C.J. Gardner-Johnson, they probably need to look at safety, cornerback, and edge for the top three picks. But maybe even get a... I mean, what I think is get an edge in free agency and to pair with Aiden. And what I think they really need is a penetrating three technique for at defensive tackle. Because Aline McNeil is a nose tackle with plus... Pass rush, but if you get an actual three technique in there, I think this team could be scary with their pass rush because we both love Levi Onzurike coming out of Washington, but he hasn't stayed healthy and he hasn't progressed like we thought he would coming out a few years ago. So he was supposed to be that penetrating three technique originally. Eh, it hasn't happened. So I think get a veteran pass rusher, go into the draft, get a cornerback, get a penetrating three technique, and see what happens at the rest of the draft and go from there. Their draft picks are unorthodox sometimes, but after this year, I'm not going to question them because I questioned the fuck out of them when I saw Jameer Gibbs go 12th, Jack Campbell going 18th, and Brian Branch, then uh, Hennon Hooker. The Hennon Hooker pick I'm okay with because eh, he's injured. But it's how they ordered those first three picks I questioned. But with how these three rooks have played, uh, I'll just shut my trap and just let them draft. Yeah, Brad Holmes has had back-to-back-to-back great drafts, and I wouldn't be surprised if they put together another great draft, because clearly they know what they're they're doing. Now, Jake, before we move on to our early thoughts of the Super Bowl, we do have two head coaching hires. The last two head coaching vacancies have been filled. We'll start with the Seahawks hiring Mike McDonald, Ravens defensive coordinator. Jake, I'll start with it because, as you know, I live in Washington. I've grown up here my whole life. The Seahawks are my team. 
I texted you when the hire happened, or I think you texted me, and I you said that you liked it, and I straight up said, I kind of hate it. And then I listed out all my issues with it to you because I'm like, it's a defensive coach. You just go. It feels like a lateral move. You're not really going to be have. You don't have a good quarterback. And so if you don't have a good quarterback, you're already going to be in the shitter, I think, because even with the fact that you won nine games, whoop dee damn do you still don't really have a quarterback because Gino is not the answer moving forward. And Drew Locke is barely a backup. But I ended up sleeping on it. And then I thought about it this way, Jake. The Ravens finished number one in scoring defense. And they were, at worst, I think a top three defense in total defense. The year before, they were top six, I think, and third in scoring defense. So clearly, Mike McDonald knows what he's doing on the defensive side. And he has said that he is going to call plays on defense. He's going to run that. I like that mainly because of the fact that my biggest issue that I've always had with coordinators that get jobs is they will get the job and then they won't do what got them the job. Think about Brandon Staley. He didn't really want to call the defense afterwards. After he got hired, he hired a defensive coordinator and just said, here, take off. At least. Get your side of the ball. Do what you do right. And so at least we know that Mike McDonald's going to be doing that. Now, he is the youngest head coach now in the league. Seattle went from the oldest to the youngest. That is, I, I like that because when you have a younger coach, they're a bit more malleable. They're a little bit more open to change. They're not stuck in old habits, old ways they are going to be more amenable to change if something needs to be changed. Now, I think, Jake, also, what I'm very curious about is this defense, from a talent standpoint, is stacked. Tariq Woolen, Devin Witherspoon. You still got Bobby Wagner, who I think is going to be here for another year. I think he'll, if he's up, up for a contract, they're going to hire, they're going to, sign him back again. You had Boye Mafe, who had a fantastic season, tailed off at the end. Daryl Taylor is a solid player. Jordan Brooks is going to be coming back healthy. I think this team, Jake, overall, and you had Julian Love, who played extremely well. You still have Quandre Diggs. Jamal Adams, I think you're going to move off him because he just can't seem to stay healthy. I think, Jake, as a as far as from a defensive standpoint, I don't hate the hire, and I actually quite like it now overall. Now that I've slept on it and actually ran through what he can do rather than just focus on what he can't do. And the fact that you still have John Schneider drafting, he's going to have probably the majority of the control now of the draft. Because that was the biggest issue that I really had with Pete was for a long time. They just had weird drafts. Why are you taking running backs back to back years in the second round? Why are you taking a running back in the first round? Why are you taking a pass rusher that really wasn't all that great in the first round? 
the drafts were just weird. And then you've seen back to back in the last two years, Jake, they've got two good tackles. They got a good wide receiver in ASN. They've had decent pass rushers that they've gotten. You have two bookend corners that are just dominant, that are dominant. And even though Woolen had a rough year, I think that as far as a brain trust goes with McDonald and Schneider being able to coexist a lot better than Pete and John Schneider, because Jake, remember, Schneider was going to leave for the Lions before they finally said, okay, you can have some more power back. He was fed up with Pete. I think that it's going to be a bit of a culture shift from the fun-loving Pete Carroll to a little bit more buttoned-up Mike McDonald. But I'm very curious about it. I am cautiously optimistic, but what do you think? So, I am fairly optimistic. The biggest thing I want to see from Mike McDonald is, obviously, you said he's going to be calling the defense I want to see them hire a veteran defensive guy who's been in the league for a long time, have him kind of be the guy that helps out of this first time head coach and, you know, stick to a four, three. That's a scheme that works for this team. And I think it will work with the team very well. Well, I think it's funny you say that. Sorry. Sorry to cut you off. Jake. You're good. They did hire Leslie Frazier as assistant head coach. Yeah, and he has been an OC before. So that helps on the offense side of things. I like that hire. But the biggest thing I want to see is who's going to be your offensive coordinator. Because the only guy I have seen linked to them is apparently they're interested in Ryan Grubb, who is a former Washington Husky offensive coordinator, and now he's Alabama's brand-new offensive coordinator. Now... I wouldn't hate that hire. I'm just not too familiar with Ryan Grubb's game and his schematics for his schemes. So I have to do a little more digging on that one. But I think the biggest thing for this for the Mike McDonald hire for me to go from liking it to loving it is who is your OC going to be? Kind of going from that, I want to see how Schneider and McDonald work in tandem. I think that they will get along just fine. I don't think McDonald is going to get too big for his britches like Carroll did and try to take power away from Schneider. They wouldn't have given Donald McDonald a six-year contract if they thought that was going to happen. So I think it will work out in the end. I think they have to hit the quarterback position. And there's a couple holes on defense. You have some aging players. You still have to get your pass rush kind of figured out. But... At the end of the day, you have good players where you need them. Just get a new, get an interior offensive lineman, get a quarterback, and go from there. Not to mention, Jake, I do think what I find also really interesting uh, with Mike McDonald, and I actually do like this. So this was during the introductory press conference. Um. John Schneider, apparently he was listening to a podcast about hiring and what he heard was regardless of the 
industry, it's all about who's changing the marketplace. And so when they were interviewing, they wanted to figure out who is going to be, who could change the marketplace or who could be a disruptor. Uh, Mike McDonald definitely fits that with the top ranked defense. And Jake, the fact that Seattle was willing to wait until after the Super Bowl, if the Ravens had gotten there to interview him and to hire him, says a lot about how much they wanted this guy. And I definitely think that what, the other thing that I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic about with um, Mike McDonald is that can you, can you, the scheme that you want to run, are you going to make it, uh, obviously we saw what the defense can do and I have no doubt that it can be extremely complex. All I would be worried about, all that I would be worried about is do you have the players that can learn that defense? Because like you said, Seattle has almost always been a 4-3 team. If you look at the Ravens, they were a bit more of a 3-4 team. They liked having Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith on the field at the same time. I could see that happening with Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner. Granted, Brooks was a bit more used as a outside backer, but basically Bobby Wagner 2.0, a little bit more on the outside. I just worry about that a little bit, mainly because of the fact that it has been mentioned that some players just don't like when schemes change from 4-3 to 3-4 or 3-4-4-3. All I want to know is how will they adjust. But I do think that this is going to be a very, very interesting hire. If they do get a solid head coach or excuse me, solid offensive coordinator, because I think at worst McDonald's going to be solid. But what I'm going to think is they have to get a quarterback in this draft. I just can't see them running it back one more year with Geno Smith, because if you're going to get younger coach and you have a young team because Jake you think about it that defense is mainly kids and then Bobby Wagner is basically Bobby Wagner is basically the daycare center and then you look at offense you have a young offense with a veteran quarterback who took a massive step back I take a big swing I go after like a Bo Nix if I can and just see what happens. We saw what the Texans were able to do. I don't think it's a complete one-to-one, but I I'm getting, the more I talk about it, the more I'm a little bit more optimistic. But Jake, we move on to the final head coaching vacancy, which was the Washington Commanders. A lot of people had Ben Johnson locked in as the next head coach for Washington, but after he stayed back, they ended up hiring Cowboys DC Dan Quinn. Jake, I'm going to let you take the reins on this one. What was your takeaway from this hire? Uh, I don't want to say this was a scramble pick to get 
a head coach, but after Ben Johnson kind of said, fuck y'all, I'm staying in Detroit, it kind of feels like a scramble. So I like Dan Quinn. I think he's reformed himself as a coach with three years. He was a defensive coordinator for the Cowboys after he got fired from the Falcons. I think a fresh start in D.C. will be good for him. He has a new owner. He has a new GM. He's coming off of leading a top five defensive unit throughout the last three years. And he's shown that even when he was the Falcons, he can lead a damn good defense. So I think it would have been better if you got Ben Johnson, obviously. But I think when you look at Dan Quinn as a whole, you're going to see a team that's going to be surrounded by a cover three type defense. He's probably going to run a lot of 4-3, maybe some 3-4 sprinkled in there because of his defensive tackles. But I don't hate the pick. I don't love the pick. It's like, I like it. I don't love it. I like it. I think the commanders have a good head on their shoulders with their new GM, who is a new, a brand new GM, and a veteran guy who's now on his second string as a head coach. And I like the pairing. I think they'll work good together. I think the new ownership is going to be involved in day-to-day operations but not overstep their boundaries like David Tepper in Carolina. So I think they'll do fine. It's not my favorite hire, but it's not my least favorite hire. So I'm okay with it. I think they'll do good enough, but doing good enough in this division, I don't know if it's going to be, I don't know if that's the answer. Well, Jake, um, I felt like you sugarcoated it a little bit. Um, and you were extremely kind. Um, I'm not going to be. I think that this hire is a step backwards or at least a lateral move. Kind of what would have happened if it had been Dan Quinn to Seattle. Uh, I think this is a joke of a hire. I like Dan Quinn. I think Dan Quinn as a head coach, we saw we have seen the positives. Solid defense builder, solid culture builder in Atlanta. He coached pretty damn well. I thought he had a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl and he ended up choking it with Kyle Shanahan as his OC. Definitely, he obviously should have ran the ball a little bit more, but that does fall on the head coach. And Jake, in six years, he only made the playoffs twice. I do just want to say this. What was the last thing we saw Dan Quinn doing, Jake? We saw him leading a defense that was down 48 to 16 against your Green Bay Packers with Jordan Love, a first year starter. Aaron Jones. Say we love Aaron Jones, but he is 30, which is pretty old for the. Running back. That's usually the dead zone for the running back, unless you're Derrick Henry, in which case I don't think that man's human. And 
kids at receiver and tight end. The youngest offense, the youngest team, I believe, since the 1970 Bills. 70 or 71 Bills. We can't unsee that. That is the last thing that you have done. What have you done for me lately? You got blown the fuck out. And so because of that, Jake, I can't be excited for this. I can't be excited for this hire, especially with, I understand, you know, you could probably be right. Scramble hire because I think that they thought they were going to have Ben Johnson. Not just the fact that I think that they were going to have Ben Johnson. I think they thought we have Ben Johnson locked in. After the Lions lose, he's going to come. He's going to accept the job. We got him. I think, Jake, that why not hire Mike Vrabel? A guy who, to me, got scapegoated in Tennessee. A guy who lost a power struggle. And a guy who we've seen establish a winning culture. He had marginal quarterbacks with Ryan Tannehill and what we saw of Will Levis and Malik Willis, who we don't look at Malik Willis as a game changer and Will Levis. We just don't know yet. And Derrick Henry and basically a bag of chips, Jake, because after AJ Brown left, it was basically Derrick Henry and some exercise equipment because there wasn't anything else. No, the misfit toys would have made a better team. But Jake, you just think about that. I don't understand what, and maybe they did reach out, try and reach out to Mike Vrabel. I don't know if they did though. I don't remember them interviewing Vrabel, but why not go for a head coach that, you know, has a winning record, can establish a winning culture has made it to a conference championship game in, and say what you want. He lost to Mahomes and he was, he had a lead at one point in that game before Mahomes Mahomes. And that's with Ryan Tannehill. I think as far as Dan Quinn goes, Jake, I can't see this as anything other than an abject disaster just because of the fact that we don't know what your quarterback is going to be. Your running backs are solid, not special. Your receivers are good. But that defense is missing pieces. Emmanuel Forbes, as a rookie, Jake, he did not have a good year. I don't care what anyone says. He did not play well. I just, there's so much uncertainty with this organization as a whole that I can't help but feel like this was a bit of a panic move, a bit of a safe move. And I just can't. Jake, I think that this was the one head coaching hire that could be one or one and done potentially right after the season. We could be looking at a Steve Wilkes situation in Arizona where gone just after one year. I think that he's going to be gone. I don't like the hire at all. And I'm very I just. Washington. You got rid of Dan Snyder, which was a victory last year, and you're starting off with 
arguably the worst coaching hire out of the entire group, which is saying something because one of those teams that hired was the Panthers, and we know that David Tepper is a bum-ass loser. But Jake, wrapping things up, winding down for this edition of Run Past the Brain Cell, we do have a Super Bowl in nine days. The Chiefs and the Niners. Jake, talk to me. What are your early thoughts on this matchup as we head into a rematch? I think the Super Bowl is going to be a very good one. I think it's going to be a very balanced game. I think it's going to be close. I don't really know which team will win it because I don't feel safe taking either one of them because I could see multiple things happening where either defense just locks down or it turns into a freaking shootout. So I think it'll be, like I said, a good one. It's going to be not a revenge game, like I said earlier, but I think there's going to be some animosity from the Niners against the Chiefs. So you are going to see, I think, the Niners play their asses off. And they're going to step up. Now, the Chiefs in, will respond in kind. And they're going to freaking put their pedal to the metal and try to win this. Because if they do, that is three Super Bowls in four years. That's a dynasty. And the last dynasty you can really talk about was the Patriots with Brady and Belichick. So I think that it's going to come down to... You know, honestly, I'm going to say it's going to come down to the running backs. I think how the Niners respond to Pacheco and short yardage situations versus how Spagnolo is going to handle CMC and him handling CMC in the past game. Because if you're down Willie Gay still in this game, I don't think you are. I think he is going to play. You have a guy that can at least try to take McCaffrey on, but we've seen a lot of people try to take McCaffrey on this year and pretty much no one has succeeded in that beat. So I think the quarterbacks are going to do enough, but I think the Super Bowl MVP is going to be a running back. So it's funny you say that because what I was actually going to open my, uh, initial thoughts are is you think about how Kansas City ran the ball against Baltimore like you said they only averaged what or they only got what 82 yards I believe 2.8 yards a carry about yeah I 89 89 yards I shortchanged them seven but Jake you think about that but you also think about what we saw happen to the 49ers in the first half of the Lions game. What we also saw happen to them playing the Packers. Jake, they have averaged or they have given up 100 yards rushing in each game. Even Detroit, after having a buck 41, they finished with 182 yards rushing. 
I think that what you really have to worry about and what I think is the game could potentially come down to is Isaiah Pacheco because he had 24 carries against the Ravens, even though it wasn't effective, they were willing to commit to the run, let Mahomes sort of make plays off of either play action or check things down, not make the big mistake. I think that we could see Pacheco potentially have 30 carries in this game. I think that they empty the tank for Pacheco in this game. And Jake, I think also you mentioned Christian McCaffrey. I would be more worried about Christian McCaffrey in the receiving game because Nick Bolton and Leo Chanel are solid linebackers, but Kansas City has struggled with mobile quarterbacks. They have also not been fantastic in space against running backs. I think that what we saw or what we should have seen against Kansas City was Baltimore utilizing Justice Hill's ability out of the backfield to catch and run with the ball. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Shanahan scheme up more passes for McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, maybe some more screens because that is what they like to do. They are a screen team galore. Now, Jake, looking at the betting lines, originally Sam Fran opened up as a two and a half point favorite and it did get bet down to one and a half for Sam Fran. Now it is currently at two most places. FanDuel has it at minus two and a half for Sam Fran. Early right now, if you were to ask me which side I would take as far as betting goes, I would lean towards Kansas City getting points because here's the thing, Jake. If you broke down these rosters, and San Francisco has a stacked roster, I'm getting, with Kansas City, I'm getting the better quarterback. I'm getting the better coach. I know people like Shanahan, but he has not won enough big games. Andy Reid has made it to conference championship games with marginal quarterbacks. And Donovan McNabb, look, he wasn't that great. Chill. I'm getting the better tight end. I think Kelsey is a better receiving tight end. Kittle is the most complete tight end. But I do think that Kelsey right now is playing better than Kittle. I'm getting arguably the better O-line. I am getting, at least in this playoffs, I'm getting the better defense. And underrated, I'm getting the better kicker. Harrison Butker versus Jake Moody is a mismatch. Moody missed a field goal early on in that Detroit game. I know it sounds silly, but kickers matter in games like these, especially if you have a kicker that's been a rookie that has had struggles. I think that because of that, if I were to pick a side betting, I would take Kansas City and the points. I'm curious to see where this line ends up. And Jake, I think I saw, I, I was looking at the prop bets as well. Isaiah Pacheco, they have his rushing yards set anywhere from over under 64 and a half to 67 and a half, which lets me know that they're expecting Kansas City to run the ball at least a fair amount. And I think that they will commit to the run a lot more. As far as Sam Fran goes, 
Jake, that defense is going to have to get a rush on Mahomes and force him into a couple turnovers. We saw back in 2019 when they faced each other, they were able to force Mahomes into a couple picks, and San Fran was in control of that game. And Jimmy Garoppolo, like you said, he had a chance to win that game overthrowing Emmanuel Sanders on a deep ball that would have put him up with very little time left. But this is a different Mahomes than what we saw last time. Because Mahomes back then, he was a lot more of a gunslinger and he was more he was more erratic. I think that this Mahomes that we've seen, the growth that we have seen. He hasn't thrown a pick, Jake. The last time he threw a pick was in the playoffs, was their loss to the Bengals. So you have to go back six games, and they've won all six games, obviously, and he's, he's been virtually flawless. I it, Early on, I'm... Thinking the Chiefs will win this game, I think it could be a shootout, but I would be leaning into a potential 30 to 24 game. I think that Kansas City is good enough. I think they could bleed the clock enough. We saw they can run the ball efficiently and play time of possession. I wouldn't be surprised if they won this by a touchdown. What do you think about my theory? You know, it's a solid theory. I see where you're coming from with it, and I can support it. I, like I said, I don't feel safe taking either one of these teams right out the gate. I think I need to see injury report fully all the way before I decide to go with this. Because, obviously, Tooney is out. He's out for the rest of the year with an MCL and ACL injury. But, I mean, their backup guard played phenomenally against the... Lions pass rush. I mean, I mean, not the Lions, the fucking Ravens pass rush. And he was the highest rated O Lion, according to PFF's blocking grade in that game for the Chiefs. So you can work with that. So I, I don't feel safe taking either one, but if I had to throw it out there, I'm just going to go off of the most experienced coach and the guy who is more consistent in big game situations. I'm going to take the Chiefs to win it. Do I feel good taking that? No, but I'm going to take the most experienced quarterback, the most experienced coach over the over the other guy. Exactly. Now, Jake, we will make our official picks on the next podcast that we do a week from today. I do think want to float this real quick before we go. This is sort of our closing thoughts, Jake. This this game, to me, is going to prove one of two theories. And I was listening to one of the, you know, daytime talk sports shows. And I find this interesting. If the Chiefs win, I think this will further establish that you all but need a superstar quarterback to win Super Bowls or at least a A to A minus quarterback, maybe a B plus because so like Kirk Cousins minimum. I think I think slightly better than Kirk Cousins. I don't know if Kirk could win a Super Bowl, but I think he could get you to a conference championship game. 
But I think you need a quarterback with a little bit of special. Because what we're seeing, Jake, with this game is it's a case of best quarterback coach combo versus arguably the best roster. And so if the Chiefs win, I think it'll further establish the quarterback sort of market and quarterback philosophy that you need a star to win the Super Bowl. You think about the quarterbacks that have won the Super Bowls over the last like 10 years, Jake. Nick Foles is an outlier. And Carson Wentz played like a star throughout that entire year. Brady, Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers when he was in his prime, Russ in his prime. I mean, Peyton Manning, he was he didn't play well that year, but he was still pretty much a star. And you just think about things like that. Stafford. Stafford is a star. If the 49ers win, there might be a bit of a shift in mindset where you can potentially have a B, B-minus quarterback that you don't pay and you just stack the roster if you can with all-stars and all-pros. Because I think if the 49ers win... I don't see them signing Brock Purdy. I actually think that Brock Purdy, Jake, might end up getting moved off of and they just reset the quarterback clock because I wouldn't be surprised if Shanahan thinks, well, I got to one with Garoppolo and probably should have won. I got to one with Purdy and I won. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets in his head that you he doesn't need a star quarterback and it's his scheme and his roster, not a quarterback. I think that's what this is going to come down to. And it's sort of the two philosophies that we have in this game. And it's interesting to see which one will come out on top. So I think we should do our picks because, uh, you know, just see if anything changes for how we think next week, depending on how the results are. Because, I mean, it's a Super Bowl. I think we could have multiple takes on it and go from there. So, so my early pick I, is yeah. Chiefs. My early pick is Chiefs. What score you have for it? I think, I do think that Kansas City can win a little bit bigger than three points. I do think it'll be close-ish. But I'm going to say Kansas City is going to win 27 to 20. Okay. I have Kansas City winning by four. And I kind of think it's going to be a 31-27 game. Okay. I think so it's going to be a be little more higher scoring. I, I'm taking the over because I think you have two very good offenses. And, you know... I think they're both going to manipulate. You have two damn good offensive coaches, and I think they're going to find ways to manipulate the defensive coordinators. Even though Spags is great, I mean, Shanahan, I think, can do what needs to be done, and he's going to target the weakness in the run game. So, so Jake, I'm looking at the over-under right now, four total points. My score of 27-20 would be right at the under of 47.5. So you'd be at mm -hmm. 58. Pretty... Definitely a high-scoring game. I, I'm very curious if that will end up happening. And we have to wait a week before 
We can see what happens, but you best believe that we're going to be keeping an eye on all the news that could come out, injuries that happen during practice, anything like that. So thank you all for listening to Run Past the Brain Cell. Make sure to check us out on Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And Jake, you want to sign us off with anything? Uh, whatever team wins, don't be a douchebag and accept it. The win with grace and accept the loss. If you do lose with grace, it's football. You'll probably be back in the playoffs next year and who knows what's going to happen. All right. For Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care. Take it easy.